Before we start this week, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you to our fans. We had a huge amount of support, and we reached in our first week over 100 downloads, which if you told when we were starting that I'd get 100 downloads in the first season, I would have said you were lying. So for us to break that plateau after our first release, it meant a lot. So thank you to all the listeners out there. There is one more thing I would like to ask of you, though. Right now on iTunes, we have five five-star reviews, which thank you to those five people for reviewing us but what would really help us and help people find us and i especially in itunes is if you went onto the apple podcast app or if you're using a windows pc onto itunes and left us a review if you could leave us a review we'd really appreciate it thanks and let's get to the show welcome to tech ed tech a podcast about educational technology and project-based learning in the classroom i'm mike and i'm dan and we are here this week to talk about the maker movement so let's get to it So I saw something interesting the other day. In Twitter, there was a teacher from that I there's a teacher that I follow who was posting a video of all of their projects that the students did that day. And I looked at the first one and I was like, "Oh, that's really cool." You know, the, that student really did a great job. It's great how that mechanism works. And then I went to the next one and it looked very similar to the first, but I was like, "Okay, you know, two similar ones look good." Went to the third one, fourth one, they all were the exact same basic design with very small aesthetic changes. Normally, I just think it's someone who just kind of missed the mark or maybe they were going for something else than what you would expect for a project. But this had one trait, and this teacher always claims that they're like a big supporter and follower of the maker movement and talks about how their students are making and it just brought to the forefront some of the issues that I have, and I know that you have, Dan, and maybe the people out there have as well. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. We'll find out. Facebook.com slash Tech Tech Podcast. <laughs> Let us know how you feel about the maker movement. And it just really brought to the forefront some of the issues with making. Before we get too far into what that is, though, if you're not familiar with the maker movement... It's something that's kind of developed over the last 10, 15 years. It grew from kind of the whole hacking culture in the 80, late 80s, where you know people like freaking phones and hacking computers and networking and things like that. And it kind of grew into encouraging everyone to interact with technology in a very casual way. And then it really kind of hit its prime time in 2006 when uh, Dale Doherty launched Make Magazine and the Maker Fair. Uh, if you've never been, there are giant fairs that kind of celebrate making that are held all around the world. Uh, New York, Los Angeles, Detroit. I know there's ones in Rome, London, France, All the good Paris. European cities. Yes, only the good ones. Only the good ones. So that's a little bit about what the maker movement is. Uh, Dan, how do you feel about the maker movement? I have mixed feelings about the maker movement. As an individual who likes making things, likes doing things with my hands, in some ways I really love the renewed enthusiasm for creation and tinkering and hacking. But as an educator, I have some serious problems with the maker movement. We've been to maker fairs. We've subscribed to Make Magazine, or at least we used to, uh, here at the school. 
we have noticed that once you start to look at the make maker movement critically, some things start to fall apart at the seams. Especially if, and we are educators, if we're trying to use this movement to try to bring it into the classroom, to try to uh, teach design and technology in the classroom, I do not think the maker movement is the right approach. If you're trying to do project-based learning at all, um, not just design and technology education, I think the maker movement is the wrong way to go. If anything, I would say making should just kind of be its own subject kind of off to itself. Let's let's talk about let's talk about some of the, let's start let's talk about some of the good parts of the maker movement. Why we like it. So one of the things I do like about the maker movement is, as you said, it encourages kids to work with their hands, make things, kind of explore the world around them, and develop maybe a curiosity of how things work or and how to tinker. Especially in a world where tinkering and open source things are few and far between and shrinking. Well, one thing I, I, I kind of saw, the maker movement moved into a, into a niche that was for, for a relatively brief time missing. You know, it used to be students had to take tech ed classes or industrial art classes or other classes where they were making things with their hands. And as school systems became more digital, that started to wane. So they were moving those types of hands-on classes into the digital space, maybe replacing a wood shop with a web design class. And there's nothing wrong with web design. But they really started to reduce sort of that hands-on making education, which has existed for, well, hundreds, thousands of years. I mean, it's, it's been around for as long as education has been around. But I remember... Uh, interviewing for jobs in 2005 and I've, you know, 2006, the early aughts, where schools would literally tell me, well, we really want to move away from that old style approach where kids are making things. We want to get them in front of computers and doing things digitally. And it was right when that was sort of hitting its zenith and people and, and students were not making things with their hands, this make movement started to come in and say, let's create things. Let's actually make things with our hands in real life. And that was awesome. It gave some new enthusiasm to creation. But what it didn't have is a structure. And this, I think, comes a little bit from the make movement's origins in sort of hacker culture. This idea that sort of passion and just exposure to a technology or to a subject or just an area of creation would be enough. It would be enough to grow interest and skills. And I don't think it necessarily is. Yeah, I agree. It's almost like they have like a Montessori style approach to learning technology, to project-based learning, if you will, which to a degree, yeah, it helps. Exposure is part of the learning process. You know, you don't know you're interested in something or that something even exists until you're actually exposed to it. There is a benefit there. However, the two main things that tie into any project-based learning or technology education projects is purpose, which is the big one. Mm-hmm. And you should be learning skills along the way, the, like practical skills. And those two things aren't necessarily found when you're making things. 
the way I've always kind of looked at the maker movement is it's like taking kids that you're trying to make a band. Okay, you're trying to have band class. And you put all the kids in the room, you put a bunch of instruments in the room, and you say, all right, get to it, start making music. And some kids may already know a little bit, so they may teach the other kids, but without structure, teaching them to do it properly, um, giving them the correct skills and knowledge and the purpose of like why should you learn music and why is it important to play it this way? It loses a lot of value because of that. That's a that's a pretty good analogy. I mean, if you if you look at people who are enthusiastic about the maker movement, the one example I saw that popped up in article after article is like, well, those homebrew computer clubs of the '70s, you know, that Steve Wozniak came out of, and that made Apple Computer, and that's the real heart of the maker movement. And I, I mean. The story of the you know those early Silicon Valley days is amazing, but I don't think that just putting kids together with some technological tools is going to create the next Apple computer. Like you said, to make a band, there needs to be music instruction, and to make well-educated and well-rounded sort of creators and consumers of technology, I do think there needs to be more structured instruction than a lot of the maker movement likes to let on. And that's why, and not this is a bad thing, but when you go to a maker fair, there's a lot of personal expression in the projects, which is a good thing. It's a definitely a niche of technology, but again, what is the purpose? I think as tech ed educators, we're always looking for a purpose and a skill set that we're trying to build in our students. Yeah, it's funny you said that because I always have that in the back of my head too, is when we went to maker fair, it really felt like the point where art and technology meet. So I always saw Maker Faire as almost like the perfect intersection or as close as you can get to, I guess, steam, if you will. Yes, I, I wrote that down in my notes, actually. The, the ex- expression of the Maker Movement versus the practicality of the Maker Movement. The Maker Movement might be the best argument for steam that there is. I mean, that's really, when I went to Maker Fair, that's what I saw. And... and this real, in some ways, very impressive combination of of technology and creation, of physical creation, making things, and art. One of the issues was, and I have no problem using technology to make art, um, but that's what it felt like, is they were missing the value of the technology, and the technology was like a means to get to a different end, instead of really understanding the technology, how it properly worked, Or even the one thing that really bothers me is, and I think this is what comes from that hacker culture, there's a lot of unfinished projects that are being presented that, and this goes back to my college days from professors harping on us, you know, it's not well finished, it's not presentable, you know, it's very rough cut, you know, you see wires sticking out, things aren't painted, you have lots of square edges, things like that where as a craftsman we were taught to do better and to seek that finalization they encourage that amateur attitude to it where it's okay if it's not finished and to me that always just kind of rubbed me the wrong way because it just says well finishing it is learning the proper way to do it and doing a nice job and putting the time and effort in to get to that point yeah, I, I'm going to get back to that. I, I really think the maker movement pushes this sort of idealized perception of how creation works. That 
you know, if you have the right 3D printer, your pure imagination is going to make something come to life. And to a certain extent, it can. But like you say, it often feels a little bit half-baked. They're not finishing, they're not following through with their projects and their ideas. And there's not a lot of push to follow through because it's, again, promoting the culture that the enthusiasm alone will carry you through the day. While I think the enthusiasm is great, I do think a little bit more formalized instruction and sort of just learning has to go into project creation. If you're project-based learning in the classroom or if you're going to try to teach um, project-based learning, if someone asks you to like run a quote-unquote makerspace, and we could talk about that terminology a little bit, I think you have to look at the whole process, whereas the makerspace movement really only focuses on a very small sliver of that process. I think it's interesting that you mentioned Makerspace, which you also know, uh, uh, you may have also heard of as a Hackerspace, Fab Lab, all sorts of other names. There's we used to no... just call it the shop when I was a kid. Yeah, uh, but it's more than just a shop. And I, I think the idea of having Makerspaces is great, but I have one caveat, which usually makes them not great is you have to have someone there running them who really knows and understands, not just to maintain the things, but to guide people. And that goes back to kind of people, you're not getting the skills and purpose necessarily out of the whole maker movement. Because I like the idea that the public can gather in an area, whether it be a library or just a privately owned business, and they can use a 3D printer if they need to, or, you know, they could pay to use it or use it for free if it's a library. They can use maybe like a table saw, you like solder some circuits, maybe even etch a circuit board, borrow an Arduino, something like that, where I love that that stuff is available. And that's one of the, my biggest, I think one of the biggest benefits is the maker space. But so often you have people in charge of them who aren't really experts and they kind of are like, oh yeah, go use it. And like, I could fix this thing. Like I can fix a 3D printer when it gets clogged, but you know, I can't teach you the best way to use it or I can't teach you the CAD software how to use it. And that, that whole part of it is missing is what's the proper way. It's kind of almost like the blind leading the blind a little bit. Well, sure. To get back to your analogy, I mean, you would expect somebody running a music conservatory to be an expert musician, to be able to teach the instruments and music theory. And in the ideal world, somebody running a makerspace would ha would be the same, have that same sort of expertise. They would be an expert in 3D printing, have woodshop skills. I mean... Obviously, no one's an expert in everything, but have a real backbone in, at one point, call industrial art skills or just, you know, have a real backbone in those practical skills. But again, it's the whole makerspace mentality that that enthusiasm is enough. Simply being enthusiastic about making, I don't think qualifies somebody for running a makerspace. And, you know, I sometimes I get a little protective. I mean, this is what I did go to college for being able to, you know, I am certified in industrial arts and technology education. And the maker movement has taken a little bit of my 
the wind out of the sails of my expertise. Now it feels like, well, anyone who has a little bit of a passion and a subscription to Make Magazine should be able to successfully run one of these spaces. Where there are people out there who do have this expertise who are could be, I think, utilized a little bit better, maybe utilized more than they are in some cases. Another one of the things I actually do like about the maker movement is how it really drives everything to try to be more open source and accessible. Mm -hmm. uh, I talked about that a little bit before with just the right to repair and that whole movement and those issues going on, uh, which is a real issue that's live in legislative areas all over the world. But just pushing things to be open source so that it's accessible to people, especially like things like software, where you know, it may not be the best, but at least people can get to it. 3D printers, mm -hmm. open source 3D printers now. And that that's really the best thing. I keep kind of coming back to this, but just at least this movement, the one real big positive is that it's just making things more accessible. I just wish there was a more finalized backend that we could provide. And there are people like us who are educators all over the country. Obviously, hopefully they're listening. <laughs> but there's people like us all over the country who are teaching this kind of stuff and showing kids. Although there's people who are also getting that wrong. Like, I, like we said with the project before where they were just making it and they're essentially following a plan. The end goal shouldn't be the project. It should be the process. Uh, the, the final thing that you make in a project shouldn't be the goal. The process you go through, and that's what's missing from this whole thing. So while there are a lot of benefits... I just have a hard time getting behind this because of that. Well, yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I, I don't want to, I don't want to make it seem like the maker movement has been something that's bad for our field of technology education. It's been great. I mean, there are so many more accessible products. I mean, I mean, if you just want to look at microcontrollers, microcontrollers have been around for a long time, but it used to be pretty hard to get into pretty technical pretty finicky now you could go to your local barnes and noble and buy a very easy to use microcontroller there's robust free and open software around arduinos and micro bits and you know plenty of different flavors to choose from if you want to and the same thing could be said for 3d printing um you know 3d printing has been around for a little while but its popularity has made accessible 3D printers that you could affordably put in a classroom or a library a reality. I mean, we really can thank the make movement for these tools being popularized and made more accessible for everybody. I just wish they would take it one little step further and really start to promote and professionalize the movement. I think they've kind of gotten stuck at this sort of hacky, make what you want, see what happens stage. And there's value to that. But I think, I just wish it would, just, they could take it one, the, you know, if they could just take it one half step further. One thing I've always kind of joked about, but I honestly think Radio Shack could have saved itself if it would have just, instead of going to like consumer electronics and trying to hawk like terrible like phones and TVs and stuff if it actually embraced that maker movement and tried to be a way, an outlet to sell you microcontrollers and maybe have a little bit of knowledge and go that way and just like sell it to you. And I actually got kind of excited when- uh, Adafruit. Adafruit, yeah. 
the more freed purchased Radio Shack, I was like, oh man, they're going to do that thing I always said where it doesn't necessarily have to be a, a makerspace per se, mm-hmm. but turning it almost into like a private store where you could sell making. And I know they have a Raspberry Pi store now. I don't know if that's related. But like if you go to like the Apple store or Microsoft store. Right. They have little rooms where they do like training sessions and things like that on Saturdays and you, or you have like kids birthday parties at the Microsoft store. That's a real thing. Is that a real thing? Yeah, it's a real thing. <laughs> I went there once there's a bunch of kids having like pizza and drinking little sodas and playing Minecraft and stuff. I was like, <laughs> you know what? That's actually a pretty good idea. Um, but they have like that room and you can actually look in and watch people getting trained for how to do things and they'll teach kids how to do things. And that would be great as well. You know, have an add-on service to try to sell them 3D printers and then teach them how to use it. Or sell you an Arduino and just point you in the direction or have like a book like, hey, we really recommend this book for a beginner. Oh, you know a little bit about coding? Well, maybe go with this book. Right. Well, I think that's where a little bit of the maker movement kind of shot itself in the foot. You know, in the last couple maker fairs I've been to... Maybe this is something with the East Coast, but it almost seemed like it's on the downward trajectory. It's a little bit less enthusiasm, less vendors there. I honestly believe a little bit of the problem they ran into is they promoted the heck out of this stuff. Uh, They got these tools into the hands of kids and enthusiastic individuals. And I think some of the people who got an Arduino in their hand ran into a roadblock. It was not as easy to make it do cool stuff as they may have thought it was, as the maker movement may have promoted it to be. I think, like you said, if there was some hypothetical Radio Shack where there was a little bit of guidance and if the kind of push, I mean, look, look, the information's out there. I mean, you could teach yourself how to use an Arduino. It's just not as intuitive as a lot of the maker evangelists make it out to be. Same thing with 3D printing. 3D printing is not as intuitive as it seems in a commercial or as some of um, the most enthusiastic people make it out to be. Most of your sort of consumer level 3D printers require some skill to run. You have to set it up, calibrate it, make sure your temperatures are right, clean your heads. It's not as plug and play as people made it out to be. And I think they might have oversold that that sort of plug and playness of all of these maker technologies. If they were a little bit more honest with sort of the work that went into it, I think I honestly think it would have helped the movement in in the long run. Yeah, I agree. There's no better way to kind of shoot yourself in the foot to get than to get people who are legitimately enthusiastic and they're there on their own free will. Like, all right, 3D printing. I've heard so much cool stuff about this. I got a 3D printer. Let's get to it. What do I have to do? What do I need to know? How do I do this? And then they just run into this wall of oh, well, you know, I need to know how to do this, I need to know how to do this, and this is hard, and the information isn't easily available, and the 3D printer technology isn't as user-friendly because I bought this one instead of that one. Right. And that's a great way to kill enthusiasm really fast. It's just, right. It also makes people fall back on the like, huh, this is hard. Well, tell you what, why don't you copy and paste this code for this website and then hook this wire to this thing, and then voila. But if you're not gaining under, I mean, if you're not gaining understanding when you're doing that, it's it's that's going to get boring pretty quick, which is a little bit why I think sometimes you see things like what you saw on Twitter, where you're taking something and you're like, okay, now let's let's decorate it because you're trying to add some sort of easy to do dressing on top of maybe a more complicated underpinnings, but it, 
if you don't understand that technology underneath, what are you getting out of the project? What are your students learning or what are you learning? And I think, again, I, I, that's where I think this maker philosophy, I just wish it would come back a little bit more to sort of the tech ed industrial arts philosophy. And together, I think we could do it. We could, <laughs> I think there's good stuff out there, but it, it just, I think they need to be a little bit more honest about what it takes to use some of these devices and tools. It might be an opportunity for us to extend like an olive branch and, you know, say, join us. We can make an alliance of technologists, designers. I, I mean, if you are, I mean, honestly, if you're somebody who has just stumbled upon this podcast because you love making things, think, and but you don't have sort of the tech ed background, the project-based learning background, join us. <laughs> Look, I, if, seriously, like, we have things that we could teach you and you have things you could teach us. I think that's not a bad, uh, that is a good thing to put out there we're not tr we're not trying to push away the maker movement we're trying to make the maker movement better and we're trying to make it work in classrooms so i think that was a great place to summarize uh, how we feel so we, there are a lot of positive things that come out of it but i think uh, there are some definite areas of growth to be had there to make it a little more realistic and accessible to most people that's all we have for this week thanks for listening if you want to help support the podcast, the best thing you could do is leave us a rating and review on iTunes. There's a link to our iTunes page at the top of our website, teched.technology. While you're there, you can find more info about the show, including contact info, links to our social media, as well as project ideas you could use in the classroom. Speaking of social media, we'd love to hear your ideas, thoughts, and reactions to what we discussed. You can reach out to us on our social media platforms, facebook.com slash techedtechpodcast, or on Twitter, at techedtechpod. Today's show was created and produced by me, Mike Lasher, and Dan DeLuca. We'll see you in two weeks for our next episode on Microsoft Education Products.